0: Midlands today on Midlands Win a 3 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's
1: official Westmeath. No county loves Renault more. P.O.Brien.ie When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner.
2: Well, good morning. A nice sunny start to the day in many parts of the Midlands. Coming up today, a lady who grew up in a Zimbabwean village with no electricity, who foraged worms as nutritious snacks, has made the remarkable journey to Ireland, transformed her life and is now studying mental health at UCC. But these days she calls County her home. That story coming up in half an hour. Also today, teachers are the latest group to complain about the cost of living. So what do they want the government to do? What size of paycheck are they asking for in advance? Everybody's looking for a pay rise from the boss at the moment. So what sort of number have they put on it? And... A little bit later, Health Matters, a chance to pick the brain of another expert today. And if there's something that you need assistance with, 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp, the very best way to let me know. And you could be having a great evening out as well, thanks to Kilbegan races. The races are being held Thursday and Friday. First going to post half past four, full details on the way very, very soon. What have we got on the front pages this morning? Uh, Speaking of horse racing, by the way, you see Lord Lariat on the front of the Irish Times, the 40 to 1 shot who came first at Ferry House yesterday winning the Irish Grand National. And local trainer Dermot O'Loughlin claims the prize for the second year in a row. Well done to him. Main story, though, on the Irish Times is that Ukraine believes Russia is entering a new phase of its war and they will be concentrating this time on the east of the country, trying to take the Donbass region, which has been disputed ever since 2014, and basically reevaluating their aims. No longer does Russia appear to want to conquer all of Ukraine, but perhaps they are settling for those disputed territories. Again, speculation on the Irish Times. The Irish Independent tells you that if you are a parent and you're working, you can get five days off to care for your child if they become unwell under new work-life balance laws which are being prepared in the Oireachtas at the moment. So separately, if you're the parent of a child under the age of 12, or indeed if you're a person who's caring for a relative, you will have the right to ask for reduced or flexible hours from your boss. emphasis there to ask for you have the right to make the request doesn't necessarily mean the employer has to accede to your request but the bottom line is laws are being strengthened in favour of workers having more options if personal circumstances mean you need to be at home more that's on the front of the Irish Independent now inside the papers today Um, yes, teachers are warning of a serious erosion in their standard of living. And this is the time of year when the teaching conferences are held and they will be in person for the first time since 2019 and top of the agenda, the spiralling cost of living. So they want, as a union, pay increases to match the rate of inflation which is about 8% at the moment, give or take. And they say teachers are unable to secure a mortgage on their current salaries. Now, when you consider teaching has always been regarded as one of those stable, dependable jobs, not lavishly paid, but certainly not underpaid. And if a teacher cannot draw down a mortgage, then the system is really broken. So unions are saying there are a few factors in there. The high cost of living means teachers don't have enough left over. The ongoing housing crisis means they've to borrow too much to begin with to afford a house. And then many have very limited renting options. So if you are renting and you're paying through the nose, well, you can't save the nest egg. You can't put the deposit together. This is why it's a problem. So anyway, all the teaching conferences shall be holding their conferences, and uh, teaching unions, I should say, will be holding their conferences, and you will hear various issues raised this week in the classroom. Barry Cowan, Fianna Fáil TD for Lee hopes this week to meet with the Minister for the Environment, who is absolutely sticking to his guns when it comes to this ban on the sale of turf from September. A spokesperson for Environment Minister Eamon Ryan said yesterday, he has indicated the regulations will go ahead in September, but he will work with his coalition partners in the meantime as to how they will be implemented. And they will focus on the largest sources of air pollution, which is the retail sale of smoky coal, turf and wet wood. Now, maybe that's a subtle shift in policy from the Minister because she mentioned the retail sale. That would suggest forecourt sales as opposed to what has been very traditional in the Midlands where... You buy turf maybe from a neighbour or at least from a contact in the community who will distribute it. And that is different to going into a garage or forecourt situation and picking it up there. So perhaps the minister is going to compromise a little bit as to who will be banned from selling turf as opposed to a blanket ban on selling turf we'll see. That's in the Irish Times if you want to read it. Micheál Martin looks like he will be staying on as Fianna Fáil leader after he steps down as Taoiseach because only a year ago when Fianna Fáil was polling so poorly and when his own approval rating wasn't great, the consensus was that as soon as he would hand over the reins to Leo Varadkar then the knives would come out and his TDs would have rid of him. But according to some soundings, again taken by the Irish Times, Micheál Martin may not lead Fianna Fáil into the next general election in 2025. That's still an open question. But they seem content to leave him in situ, at least for the moment. One TD who went on the record is Longford Westmeath, Minister of State, Robert Troy. And he says, in my opinion... He will be Tóniste in December and the timing of his departure as leader should be set by him. Now, there are others, again unnamed, who say he is in his 12th year as leader. He will be Tóniste, but there needs to be an orderly transition before the election. Michal Martin has suggested himself he would lead Fianna Fáil into the next election, but I suspect that's probably to save face if he were to concede that he's not going to lead them into the next election. He will be a lame duck leader and nobody wants to be in that situation. A new variant of COVID nineteen has been discovered. This one seems to be a hybrid of the BA one Omicron variant, which first reared its head in December. BA two emerged a little bit more after that, about four or five weeks after that, a more transmissible version. And the latest is Omicron XE These are like iPhones all these different designations after each variant. The Omicron XE apparently is 30% more transmissible again but thankfully, and touch wood now based on all the evidence so far, it doesn't appear to be any more deadly than the previous strains of Omicron Professor Kingston Mills from Trinity College, he's a Mullingar man He says there have been a series of new variants to emerge in India, and they've had six million cases there in April alone. So it's a bit of a melting pot for new, slightly different versions of the virus to emerge. And he reckons current vaccines will probably be perfectly effective against it. So not a bad news story by any measure. Very sad story, though, highlighted in many of the tabloids today. Cristiano Ronaldo is mourning after his girlfriend, Georgina, gave birth to twins. But alas, one of them has not survived. The little boy died shortly after his girlfriend gave birth. And he talks about an angel uh, who tragically passed away. And it's something that any parent who has been there will identify with, um, and I say parents because it, it affects dads, it affects mums, it affects the wider family, whenever there is a miscarriage, um, whenever there's a stillbirth, it's just something that haunts you and can come at you when you least expect it, unfortunately, those memories. So it is worth pointing out, there are many groups, if you should find yourself in that position, Fela springs to mind, but there are others there to offer support. Uh, So Cristiano Ronaldo and his girlfriend Georgina Rodriguez, they are in mourning, um, but they still have a little baby girl who brings them great joy as well, they say. Now, one other story. And if you are online and you have a friend who's quite good looking, make sure that when you are checking your Instagram or Facebook or other social accounts that you are connecting with the real person. Because the latest stunt by scammers, they go online and they find good-looking people, pretty people, and they clone that person's account. They use their pictures, they use their posts, they create a false version. And then they try and connect with friends of the real person who unsuspectingly accept the friend request and then they get this message which says, basically, I'm posting some spicy pictures and if you'd like to have a look, click on this link. Now, most people will realise it's not real because this person doesn't do spicy pictures. However, the scammers only need one or two to fall for it and make it worth their while. And if you click on the link, well, you either download some spyware or you may be invited to enter your bank details and pay for the spicy pictures. Anyway, it's on the Journal.ie today, this latest scam which the Gorthy have had to issue a warning about. And hotline.ie as well is another website that you can go to to report any of these scams you come across. Hotline.ie probably not being the most appropriate name given this one, but anyway. It is now 25 past nine. Hope you had a good bank holiday weekend. And still on the agenda today, teachers asking for a pay rise linked to the rate of inflation. That's about 8%. Who's getting an 8% pay rise at the moment? Maybe in big tech companies. How about some of those multinationals in Athlone? Are you getting an 8% pay rise? Otherwise, I suspect very, very few will be. And, on the serious side of life, all those Easter eggs that you didn't get to eat over the weekend What to do to put them to good use Other than leaving them in arm's reach and slowly, or maybe not so slowly Putting on the pounds over the next week or so Anyway, some ideas coming up at around half past eleven this morning Now, a lady who grew up in a Zimbabwean village With no electricity Who foraged worms as nutritious snacks, is now studying mental health nursing in University College Cork, and she calls County Leash her home. And she is just one of many people living in direct provision centres here in the Midlands who have been sharing an insight into their lives, their hopes, their childhood memories. And writer and broadcaster Manchon McGann, has been introducing you to some of these people from Africa, Asia, South America. So this morning he meets C and she has been in County Leash for the last three years.
1: Welcome to Home Stories where we explore the lives of Ireland's newest residents who have arrived from Africa, Asia and South America and are currently passing through the direct provision system. My name is Monkan McGann and today I'm talking to C from Zimbabwe. My
3: name is C. Originally I come from Zimbabwe and I've been here for 8 months. I come from a village in Zimbabwe, it's in uh, Matabeleland north province. It's called Lupane. So I grew up in a village where there's no electricity, but yeah, I enjoyed my childhood. Growing up there, it's like, looking at it now, I appreciate that. But when you're there, when it's happening, it's difficult, but now I appreciate because it makes you grateful of everything that you, you acquire for yourself. It teaches you value of life. It teaches you your culture. It teaches you, it's like a sense of belonging. But at the same time, we are living in a world that is uh, evolving. Now there's internet in the village. They still don't have electricity in the village. They still don't have. Health-wise, you know, even the sanitary system, people, there's some people, though we had a toilet, there's some people who still go to the bushes, you know. So you can try to change that, not because there's something bad about it, but because the world is evolving and mm-hmm. you see, you travel, you live in cities, you see different things. and Yeah. Yeah. But I still appreciate
1: Will your children ever get to visit the village or would you like them to experience it?
3: Yes, I would like them to, even though they wouldn't stay there, but I want that to be part of them, I want yeah. that to, for them to know and understand.
1: Did you get valuable insights or cultural treasures from your tribe that you would like to pass on to your children, or will they feel part of the, the same cultural tribe that you came from?
3: My thing that I would love maybe to pass to them is always treat people with respect, that's what we are taught always be humble. There's a saying that, I can say Ubuntu. Ubuntu means humility. It means being humble. It means being kind. It means being, um, loving someone else as you love yourself. Now I'm studying mental health with the University of Kog. Growing up, uh, mental health is not something we spoke about. So I'm beginning to learn and understand some of the things that were going on when I was growing up, like seeing people who suffered depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, but by then they are treated as an outcast. They are treated as uh, irrelevant. So uh, I'm learning that now and understanding my own feelings, my own emotions, you know, being in an asylum centre. I've never shared a home with so many people uh with different cultures and different opinions sometimes it can be challenging or intimidating you know so i'm learning that how to handle that which is a skill that maybe i can pass over to my children to always be aware of their mental health treat yourself kind before you treat the next person
1: so you might you might work in that advice and psychological Help? I would
3: love to uh, pursue psychotherapy and at the same time maybe try uh, mental health nursing. Mm. It's, it's, it interests me. It's mm. something that I'm passionate about now. Are there things that you
1: would either like Ireland to do for you or that you would like to
3: do for Ireland? Um, not that uh, I, I want Ireland to do anything for me but I would appreciate being accepted, being uh, treated like everyone else and being valued like everyone else. Maybe my skill or my culture can add something to the people and also maybe for Irish people to understand me as a person, not me as Africa.
1: Home Stories is funded by Creative Ireland with the support of Leash and Westmead County Councils. Music by Brian Maglin and Miles O'Reilly. The series was edited and produced by Lauren Barion. More episodes at moncon.com. That's M-A-N-C-H-A-N.com.
2: And that's Moncon McGann, who lives in Collinstown in County Westmead, by the way, that's where he's based as he compiles these stories and listens to some remarkable accounts of life in other parts of the world by people who now call Ireland their home the AA has been in touch that's the Automobile Association by the way as opposed to the other AA and they have surveyed motorists on a topic that I think is going to hit close to home certainly in some parts of the Midlands if you are living near bog roads those roads that are on unstable surfaces I'll tell you exactly what the survey says after these so the Automobile Association has asked motorists if they have had their car damaged by a pothole and certainly in the Midlands I would suspect the answer would be far more than the national average which for the record is 16% saying yes in the last 12 months there has been damage caused by the craters that we find on so many of our roads. For instance, of those who had damage, six out of ten resulted in a tyre puncture. 35% said the wheel rim itself was also damaged. So that would be a big pothole. Bad enough to rip the tyre, but to actually penetrate down to the alloy wheel itself You're talking about either a fairly deep and sharp pothole or they were going maybe a bit too fast as well. Here's where it becomes really expensive, though. 23% say the pothole damaged the steering alignment. 17% had damage to their shock absorbers, so much so the car was unevenly balanced after hitting the pothole what the survey doesn't ask and it should is whether they had any redress from their county council because if you try to send in the bill the council will by default say not our problem they plead the doctrine of nonfeasance what is nonfeasance it's basically that the council is not responsible for normal wear and tear on the road but where you can get compensation is if it's a bad repair and you end up trying to get under the freedom of information act a full history of whether the road was resurfaced and when that job was done of course is critical improving your case if it was only recently tarred and a pothole emerged that's a bad job then you're into something called malfeasance You'd need a solicitor, though, wouldn't you? One gentleman I know decided he would send the bill to the small claims court and then sent a confirmation email from the small claims court to the council. They immediately backed down. They did not want to fight it. But anyway, unfortunately, potholes are a reality of life and probably in the Midlands more than most areas. Awfully in particular because so many roads are built across boggy, peaty land. And by nature, they tend to subside. They tend to get potholes more than in other parts of the country. But the official figure from the AA, 16% of respondents, that's what, about one in six, one in seven, have had pothole damage in the last year good morning now still on the agenda today how you will soon be entitled to sick pay by law no matter what your contract may say the employment minister answers your questions from a quarter to 12 also today what to do with those unused easter eggs now the smart thing is to just put them in the bin get them out of the house don't for the love of god leave them around or you will eat them And then your waistline will give out to you for months and months and months. But if you want to be a little creative, a master chocolatier has some ideas very soon. And your chance to have a fantastic evening out at Kilbegin Races. They're back and I'll tell you all the detail in a few minutes time. Now, because of increases in the cost of living, you may soon be knocking on the boss's door and asking for a pay rise whether you get it of course depends on the industry you are in but in the case of teachers their annual conferences which will be in person by the way for the first time in nearly three years members are looking for an increase that matches the rate of inflation which at the moment is give or take 8% Michael Gillespie is General Secretary of the Teachers Union of Ireland you'll know him he lives in Tullamore good morning Michael Good morning, Will. So let's, I suppose, set out some of the issues. Uh, Pay is one of the headline grabbers. What else are you talking about today?
4: Well, obviously uh, pay, but the big thing for us with pay is new entrance pay. These are people who entered the profession after 2011 that don't have equal pay. Uh, They're paid at a different rate. You've heard it before, Will. Uh, They're paid at a different rate than the people who came in pre-2010. So that's a big issue for us. Uh, what we've done is, uh, under building momentum, we've solved part of the problem. We've reached agreement with the government that they will be restored what was called their HDIP allowance, which is worth about 1,300 euros a year. But here's the thing. Teachers are paying for it themselves. What we're doing is we're foregoing a 1% pay rise that the rest of the public service got on in, on the 1st of February to pay for the problem created by politicians. All of them agree that it's unfair that there's unequal pay, but teachers are putting their money where their mouth is and they're paying it for themselves. That's not the end of it, though. Pre-2010 started on the third point of the scale. We want to restore that as well, and we're prepared to pay for it ourselves, but we haven't got agreement for that. So that's what teachers are doing at my conference, trying to get rid of the inequality of pay discrimination that occurs in our profession before we ever look at uh, pay increases now obviously the pay increases affect our lower paid teachers more than they affect uh, we we'll say established teachers and that's a big problem for us this is supply-led inflation that people are talking about it's in energy fuel even food we haven't experienced this for decades so this is causing problems and we in tullamore as you know have an awful lot of people who moved to tullamore because there was affordable rent but now they can't afford to put fuel in their cars to travel inside the m50 to work and that's not just teachers that's a lot of people working in dublin so you know this is going to be a major issue going forward
2: well let's unpack some of what you you, you, some of what you've described there for instance the two-tiered pay system that didn't just affect teachers i remember nursing unions describing it as a yellow pack pay rate for some of their members so i'm just wondering if you're going to be able to in isolation solve this For teachers, or is there a wider union cause to be had?
4: Well, as I said, teachers have decided to forego their 1% in February. What other unions have decided to do with their 1%, that's up to them. They're democratic unions. We've decided...
2: Yes, but strength in numbers is my message.
4: Sorry?
2: Strength in numbers, I'm asking.
4: Yes, but as I said, we've decided that that's what we're going to do. So we have the money to do it. It's our money. We're prepared to spend it so that we're sitting beside new entrant teachers who are teachers, people maybe who've come into the profession, we taught, our nieces, our nephews, our sons, our daughters who have become teachers, and we want to you know, get rid of this disparity in pay. So that's what we've decided to do with our 1%. We've decided to forego the 1% that was payable on the 1st of February to do this. And we're looking for... Now, the government have agreed to partly do that. We're looking for the last final push, which is the restoring starting on the third point of the scale. Remember, post-primary teachers will don't get a job straight out. The average starting age of someone getting a full-time job in post-primary is 26, because their first job is ours. A national school teacher goes in and teaches a class. We go in and teach subjects. So it takes a couple of years for them to get established. So they're already behind when they get their permanent job, because they've had partial jobs. And this is also why, in a survey we did, 70%, 73% 70%, 73% of them believe that they won't be in a position to get a mortgage because of this unequal pay, but also the fact that they get permanent jobs later in life.
2: And how, because teaching is not lavishly paid, but it is one of the more stable jobs when applying for a mortgage. Can you quantify how many teachers have this difficulty where they cannot get approval?
4: As I said, in our survey we just did before Congress, 70% of those appointed after 2011, that would be about 40% of the teaching press, do not believe they they will get a mortgage approval. That's a huge, you know, it's a damning resource. And that's why some of them are moving to other jurisdictions where, you know, they can get – and we're not just seeing it in teaching, we're seeing it in nursing as well. They're moving to other jurisdictions where the bureaucracy of the work – is not as bad and they're treated what they believe treated more favourably and they can afford houses.
2: I'm just wondering how much of it is peculiar to teachers, though, because the macroprudential rules enforced by the central bank, they govern how much you can borrow relative to your income. Supply and demand has pushed up prices in the housing market. So how much of it is down to teachers income alone?
4: Well, as I said, for new entrant teachers, it's because they have a different income structure than serving teachers. So they are, you know, behind what a teacher would be. They also remember also, you know, which was imposed on teachers as well, they have a six-year training period. You know, when I came out, I did four years or five years. They now have to do six years, four years for a degree and two years to do a PME, which is actually also pushing teaching out of being reached by ordinary people. You know, the parents who are supporting these students... Or struggle, or have to borrow money to put te- to to train teachers in Ireland because of the six-year training period.
2: Let's move on to the general pay rise, because the rate of inflation is give or take about eight percent, and it's a moving target, but it's only going yeah, yeah. in one direction, unfortunately. So, what is the process through which you want to secure perhaps eight percent?
4: Well, the TUI hasn't mentioned any rates. What what we are supporting is ICTU has looked for a review of building momentum which is the p- current pay claim um, and that would be across all unions because we believe you know, whatever is going to happen here it has to be across all unions so the TUI is fully supportive of what it's is t- uh, calling on which is a renegotiation of building momentum because a 1% pay rise in October isn't going to even touch on the supply inflation that we're
5: experiencing
2: Yes, now the ASTI the other secondary union it seems to be rather more I wouldn't say gung-ho, but certainly determined to force a larger increase. And is there a, a common ground between the two unions on this?
4: Well, sir, we we haven't discussed it with the ASTI, but as I said, what we would be saying is we'd be supporting the wider public services. Uh, you know, the ICTU has a public services committee which represents all 340,000 public servants. And that's where we believe the negotiation for you know, to take into account inflation or what can be done. Maybe it would be a reduction in tax or it may be a mixture of things. That's where we believe that should be negotiated. Hmm. It should be negotiated for all public servants.
2: Well, indeed, a reduction in tax would benefit all workers, indeed, not just those in the the public sector. So you've had two years of, I suppose it was Zoom or Teams or some other online way of meeting. Yes, Um, getting back together for the first time. uh, How does it feel?
4: Well, it's, 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 it's my first face-to-face uh, as General Secretary because I was appointed during the pandemic, uh, although I've done two of them by Zoom. So it's very exciting, obviously, and it's great to see colleagues again face-to-face. Um, unfortunately, the pandemic hasn't gone away, so there are people who are testing positive, and we're hearing this morning that people won't be arriving. Uh, but, you know, it is exciting to be back to the way things were. We're obviously have mitigation measures in place. But, yeah, very excited.
2: Michael, grateful for your time. Thank you for taking the call. Michael Gillespie is General Secretary of the Teachers' Union of Ireland, which is meeting this week, as are all the teaching unions, to hold their annual conferences but pay, unsurprisingly, top of the agenda, as it will be for all unions, public sector or otherwise. 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. If you have had calls to ask the boss for a pay claim... How did you get on? Uh, Will, why would you put Easter eggs in the bin? Asks Ina. If they are unopened and in date, why not give them to St. Vincent de Paul or some such charity if you have too many of them? Well, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, Ina. That would be a far better use than binning them. I was saying it figuratively rather than stuffing them all in your gob because, unfortunately, they contain rather a lot of calories. Um happened to spot by the way that milkshakes and if you go out occasionally and you have a takeaway you order the milkshake the oreo one so the oreo biscuits are ground up and put into the shake along with the cream and everything else over a thousand calories in an oreo shake i nearly fell over when i read that yesterday a thousand and how often you'd ask for seconds and that's even before you have your meal Heavens above, it's very easy to see why you can go over your calorie limit and pack on the pounds. Well, I'm sick of teachers moaning. Every other person working at the moment is in the same boat, struggling to get a mortgage, not being on equal pay with some of their colleagues. I remember I started working 18 years ago. I didn't walk into a job and get the same pay as people who were there years. I had to prove myself teachers are no different well, it's worth pointing out teachers starting out are not on the same pay as somebody who's there 10 years but they have increments so each year they get an increase and length of service eventually rewards them with quite a considerable premium over a new entrant but what they're arguing is that those who were hired after 2011 are on a lower scale even after increments than some of their colleagues who were hired previously. Another caller says, well, teachers are at it again, always complaining about something. What about people on much lower incomes than teaching who are rearing families whose costs have gone up? Tell teachers to try and survive on a low income because they are very well paid relative to many, And if they're not happy, they can stay at home. They can claim social welfare, says Mary in Burr. And by the way, a lot of parents, she says, have to get grinds for their children in exam classes. And if teachers were up to the job and so good, how come this is happening? And a final message from Gerard. Will teachers make me sick if they cannot afford to go to work. They get paid for Easter holidays, for summer holidays, for Christmas holidays. And very often they bring their own families into teaching if there's a vacancy. Jared says he's on 203 euro a week Having to keep a car on the road and he finds teachers to be quite greedy by comparison now here's a message from Dave who says his friend has a license to use in Ireland a new machine that fixes potholes and it is quite commonly used in other countries and as he understands it the way it works is all the top surface of a road gets scraped off when doing long sections of repairs and then the machine uh, that that uh, he's talking about, this machine literally melts the material into the potholes and can do a repair in 20 minutes, leaving the surface as good as new rather than the far more laborious way that councils tend to do it. The surface is dry, it's hard, it's ready to use within half an hour. So the person who has the licence for this machine approached various councils offered to repair a section of Dublin free of charge to prove how good this machine is and couldn't get one single solitary council in Ireland to show any interest whatsoever Dave, can we have a number for your friend? love to talk to him about that because we've seen that machine, if it's the same one I'm thinking of it was used in the UK to great effect and I'm wondering again councils tend to be very slow moving in their thinking is it a budget issue if they have to budget well over a certain cost they have to advertise for tender and they have to just go through this glacially slow process to do anything It can be really frustrating. Really, really can. But we'd love to talk to your friend, Dave. And if an accident were to happen on a road where the markings are invisible or faded, who is then responsible, asks a listener on text. And I don't know the answer. I'm not a solicitor. But my limited understanding is that if a council has taken no action to repair a road, or in this case, to mark fresh lines, then they're not liable. They actually are not liable. It's only if they do a repair and do it badly that you can end up suing them, which seems just bizarre. Anyway, let's move on to a slightly different issue. The Health Service Executive has confirmed that a mental health unit in County Leash is to be moved over 60 kilometres away. Irkenagh House is in Rathdowney. Twelve people live there and it's no longer considered suitable by contemporary standards, according to the HSE. So they are going to transfer the residents and the staff to a newly purchased building called Silver Lodge. But it's in Tullamore at a considerable distance. And the local Sinn Féin TD, Brian Stanley, says he is strongly opposed to this. Erkina House is the gold standard in mental health care, he says. And the amount of disruption to the people living there by moving 60 kilometres is just unnecessary, he feels.
5: Well, it's a blow to the leash. It's a bigger blow for the, for the rest of, of Erkina House. Uh, it's been home to 12 people. Uh, it's also a blow for the staff who working there locally in Erkina House. It's an excellent facility. Residents there, you know, it's a mental health facility. Uh, and the residents there, you know, some of whom would be vulnerable, they've settled in very well and been well accepted within the County area. Uh, and because of the town, House is located right in the dead centre of it, uh, you know, they're able to utilise the local shop across the road. Uh, they're able to use the post office. Uh, go to the news agent. Indeed they actually go to a local establishment for coffee most days and for a chat. So they have a high level of uh, independence, you know, con- when all is considered and that's due to the uh, and it's due to the good staff in our house. The other party affected here of course acutely will be the will be the staff. Uh the staff uh if the staff have to move to Tullamore from Rat Downey to Arton Road in Tullamore is it's over sixty seven kilometers uh obviously that's that's unreasonable to expect them to travel that distance over and back. Um some of them who are, are healthcare assistants and don't even have their own transport, you know, to move them out of it at this stage would be an awful uh, it would be a terrible shame for that to happen. There are there are lovely gardens and lovely surroundings in her kind of house. Um and I think that the uh the closure will affect affect the residents profoundly. Uh will completely discommode staff, uh many of whom have been there right throughout the over, the over the past two decades since it opened in 1996 and indeed it's going to be a loss to the town of Downey and South Leash uh, and I have to add that it's a town that hasn't been actually bestowed with an awful lot of job creation. Uh, it's a town that has been impacted over the various recessions that we've had uh, the 1980s uh, and again in the 90s when the country was bankrupt uh, and the town is starting to recover from that
0: you know, the the, the um, facility is not suitable by contemporary mental health standards. So, so if that is correct, um, you'd imagine there might be some sort of premises available in, say, Port Leash. Do you know what the reasoning is, as you say yourself, going a good 60 kilometres away to Tullamore?
5: Well, 67 kilometres is the distance and what I would say to you is this, is that Erkin House is a fine building and the other point I would make is, is that recently, recently spent 150,000 putting a roof on the back of a building uh, that's my information. That's spent up to 150,000 yeah. uh, put, uh, putting a roof on the back of the building. So this is not a building that's in bad condition. This is a building that's actually in good in house. The issues that have been raised, that uh, what I've been told uh, from a number of sources uh, at different levels within the within within the health system, is that uh, the issue of uh, the need for a lift at the first floor uh, for patients when they're going to bed and uh, getting up in the morning, and also uh the issue um issue issues around single bed occupancy but as i said to you that issue has been uh that issue has been sorted because uh patients are in residence they have their own they have their own single rooms at this point that's my clear information um, yeah. you know having spoken to various people so i don't see a need to actually move them this is a matter of fitting a lift and if some of the works has to be carried out carry it out this this was run efficiently it's run cost effectively it's in a great location and there's people's mental health here at stake. Mm. There's a 12 residents and you just can't uproot people and move them across two counties uh, arbitrarily like that.
0: The HSC has said, Brian, that they've purchased a, a modern building, they call it, in Tullamore Town. So I know you say you have written to the minister, but is it likely he would reconsider this or the HSE would roll back on this when they've kind of taken these steps now to, to, to um, see it through?
5: Well, you may recall that 12, 11 years ago, we're, uh, this time 11 years ago, we were faced a similar situation here in Leash with, with Abbey Leaks Hospital. And Abbey Leaks Hospital, the decision had been taken and confirmed as being taken to close the doors of it. And that was reversed. And reversed for good reason. And we can see now the benefits of it being reversed. And that facility needs to be fully opened up now. There's new beds, and there's, a, there's had to be refurbishment works. And it needs to be scaled up to full capacity now. Uh, so the decisions can be reversed. I think that, you know, I think it's a bad decision. I think that it's the wrong time to do it. Uh, I I think that the reasons being given uh, don't all stack up.
2: That's Brian Stanley, the Sinn Féin TD for Lee Shoffley, speaking with Midlands 103's Ellen Butler. And if you, or indeed if one of your family members are affected by this and there are 12 people living in Irkina house, then feel free to pick up the phone, give us your perspective Tell us why this is a bad decision, if you agree with Brian Stanley, that is. 0818 300 is the Midlands 103 comment line window. We will ask the HSE for a more detailed statement as to their reasons for doing this. It's coming up on, in fact, it's just past half, half ten. And still on the agenda today, the Easter eggs that you didn't gobble up over the Easter bank holiday weekend... Well, the creator of all things chocolate shall be here to put some of those leftovers to best use. And Andy O'Donoghue will talk tech from five past eleven, some of the latest developments with phones and other technology. Plus, the AA explains why 16% of motorists have had so much damage to their car because of unrepaired potholes. Apparently, there's one mistake that lots of people make. And if corrected, it'll make a huge difference to reducing that damage. That's coming up in half an hour. For this next conversation, we're going to ban the C word. Not the really bad C word, but calories. No talk of calories whatsoever when we consider the uneaten Easter eggs that may be around the house. And what to do with them, how to put them to good use, how to make them even more delectably delicious. Well, the man who has the answer to that question is Kevin Ward. He's a culinary arts lecturer at the Technological University of the Shannon. But above all, he happens to be an award-winning chocolatier. Kevin, good morning.
6: Good morning, Will. Thanks for having me on.
2: Oh, this is a mouth-watering challenge. So what ideas have you come up with?
6: Well, uh... I, I'm just back from uh, uh, culinary competitions in, in Belfast. We brought some students up there uh, uh, last week, and uh, Ch- I'd just like to sh- shout out the Chelsea Divine there, who brought back a gold medal for TUS, and Claudia Coyne and uh, Luke Ryan as well. The three students did, did really well. Ah, brilliant! Bola bus at, at the culinary competitions in, in at IFEX in Belfast. But, uh, yeah, so I'll just just give them a a little plug there first, if you don't mind. But I suppose I was was in a a relations house there yesterday, and uh, between two kids, they had about 20 Easter eggs each. So I was just thinking, you know, it's going to take a while to get through all that, you know.
2: Yes, you can just imagine the rocket fuel. They'd be like ping pong balls bouncing off the wall. Hyper.
6: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I've got a, a couple of nice recipes here for you. I'm not going to give you the, the ingredient the, the exact ingredients. I'm going to put them up on the TUS at Lone Culinary Arts Instagram page, if that's OK. And uh, I'll just go through the method here with you.
2: All right. Well, in general terms, take us through it.
6: OK. So we've got uh, an Easter egg, uh, Rocky Road. Everyone loves a Rocky Road, don't they? So what you need is uh, unsalted butter, uh lots of milk chocolate easter eggs chopped up into small pieces any kind of um uh, chopped nuts toasted nuts uh, jelly babies uh, marshmallows or anything like that and some cream and basically all you do is heat the cream uh, whisk the cream into your chopped up chocolate give it a really good whisk to make sure that all the all the fat is combined and then simply fold in your uh, broken biscuits All your other dry ingredients Press it into a uh, A little baking tin uh, Lined with some cling film And pop it into the fridge And leave it there for about About an hour Two hours Or overnight if you like And it's lovely with a with a cup of tea
2: Absolutely Now I know I said I wouldn't mention calories But I'm just thinking That's going to pack a bunch Isn't it?
6: Well it is I mean if you Well if you're going to be Eating chocolate you're, As you said You can forget about the C word Uh Again, everything in moderation. That's, that's the way
2: to do it. Yes. Well, don't do it by half measures.
6: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, then we've got um, an Easter egg brownie. So, again, oh, what you need here is your chopped up uh, Easter eggs, some butter, uh, some brown sugar, a couple of eggs, uh, plain flour and cocoa powder. So just melt together your chocolate and your, uh, your, your butter and then whisk together your eggs and uh, your sugar and fold in your dry ingredients and then bake it in the oven 170 degrees in a a little baking tray lined with some baking parchment. And it should be baked until it just has a little wobble in the centre. Shouldn't bake until it's fully cooked because it can become dry. Yes, I was about to say,
2: some brownies can be just that nice bit of moisture in the middle um yes. and it 's really down to how long they 're in the oven then is that the control yes.
6: exactly so there should be a little wobble uh, it's a mistake to to cook until it 's fully fully baked you know um so not, it, it, it maintains a nice little chewiness, a little bit of softness in the center if it 's under baked so it's no harm if the if the knife if you, if, you dip, if, you, if you dip a knife into it and it comes out with a little bit of chocolate on it that 's actually a good a good thing you know for mm. in this case.
2: And just rule of thumb then, so what sort of temperature and for how long again? About
6: 170 degrees for 25 minutes, I'd say, around that. Again, I'll have the, I'll have the exact details on the TUS uh, Instagram page there uh, later on today. So, um, and that's the Easter egg brownie recipe. And then I've got a lovely gooey chocolate uh, Easter egg cookie recipe here. And again, here you've got unsalted butter, light brown sugar, Egg, a little bit of vanilla extract, plain flour, salt, uh, some bread soda, and of course your uh, chopped up Easter eggs. So you line a couple of baking trays with some parchment, parchment paper. Heat your oven up to about 170 degrees, and then you can either use an electric mixer or you can use a wooden spoon and a bowl. Beat together your your sugar and butter until it's nice and creamy. And then just basically fold in all your dry ingredients, make it into a, a nice smooth uh, dough, and then you can scoop it out with a an ice cream scooper, and uh, space them out on your bake on your baking trays. Give, leave a nice bit of space between them because they will spread out in the oven and they could stick together. So leave a nice couple of inches between each one, uh, maybe about five centimeters. Flatten them slightly, and then take your your chunks of Easter egg. And push as many chunks as you like into, into the into the balls of dough, flatten them a little bit, and then bake them for about twelve to thirteen minutes. And again, this is one of those recipes where you don't want to overcook it. You know, uh, they, you want them chewy in the centre, so again, they should be crispy around the edges, but still a little bit soft in the centre.
2: And again, and then, so heating and for how long? Rule of thumb.
6: Yeah, 170 again. For around 13 to 15 minutes, depending on the size of, of the cookie, uh, really. But if you're making about 16 cookies, I say about 14 minutes.
2: Now, are you going to eat all these yourself, Kevin?
6: <clears throat> I try not to. Uh, I try not to. Uh, uh, since since I moved to TUS, uh, my my my, uh, my belly has got uh, a lot larger than it used to be when I worked in the hotels. You know. But uh, I'd like to give another plug there, if you don't mind, Will. we're having our open evening in TUS on the evening of the 27th of April between uh, 6 and 8. That's on Wednesday evening, between 6 and 8. So if anyone's interested in uh, seeing some of the sculptures that our students have produced uh, for for IFEX, please come along. Uh, We'll have them all on display there. If anyone wants to talk about... uh, you know, joining up with some of our courses, uh, some of our pastry courses, or some of our culinary arts courses, uh, we'd love we'd love to, ch- to chat to you there on, on
2: that evening. And Kevin, can you do one of these courses just as a hobby, as an interest, or are they aimed solely at professionals?
6: Well, we we run a pastry course that is aimed at uh, the, the beginner, so you don't you don't you don't have to go and work uh, in the industry. Um, so, yes, we, 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 we can do that, yeah. And we have uh, run successfully a pastry and bread-making course for uh, a long number of years, which has always been really popular with, with, uh, with students. All
2: right, Kevin, I think it's time to go to the gym after that, but thank you very Absolutely. much for your time.
6: Listen, Will, thanks for having me on.
2: That's Kevin Ward. He's a Culinary Arts Lecturer at the Technological University of the Shannon. He's got quite a pedigree himself. He was awarded the title of Student Chef of the Year in '95. He then became executive chef at the Sheraton in Athlone in 2008 and worked for many, many years in the Hudson Bay Hotel. He has awards to beat the band and he is the creator of the company All Things Chocolate as well. But for more on the recipes he has just described, you can check out the TUS, T-U-S Culinary Arts uh, Instagram account. TUS Athlone Culinary Arts. Instagram. Now, still on the agenda today, the AA has surveyed drivers and about one in seven say they've had damage to their car because of potholes in the last 12 months. And the AA says very often there's a simple preventative uh, step you can take to limit the damage. And it's not just swerving to avoid the pothole. I don't mean that sort of prevention but to make your car more absorbent to the shock in the first place. I will tell you what that is in 20 minutes. The war in Ukraine continues today with Russia entering a new phase of its operation. It's believed to be concentrating on the eastern part of the country, the disputed Donbass region, which has been the scene of fighting ever since 2014, actually, not just since February of this year. And they have appeared at least... Uh, Militarily, who given up on the western part of Ukraine and particularly around the capital of Kiev. So a new phase uh, now beginning today, according to many military analysts. For one refugee living in the Midlands, all of this feels like a dream. Uh, Vlad Novadny came here after fleeing his home country and is slowly starting to rebuild his life, having already secured a job in the Midlands area and he's been sharing his story with Midlands 103's Cameron Clark. I couldn't believe
7: that it's happening, like even, I I heard the first explosion in Kiev, and I just uh, ignored it to be honest because I couldn't imagine that this can be happening. I thought, you know, things explode and it can't be war, it's probably some kind of media frenzy, it just can't be happening.
8: Vlas was telling me about his experience in the first days of the Russians' war on Ukraine when I visited the Ofli volunteer center in Tullamore. Despite the displaced Ukrainians' hesitation to leave his country, he's grateful to have found safety in the midlands of Ireland.
7: I had to come to terms with that. It still feels like some kind of dream, to be honest. Uh, And uh, after living in a bomb shelter for a week with my friend and having to travel through All the country to the western part and to also somehow come to some decision come to some conclusion with uh, my parents because my mom is here with me unfortunately my dad had to stay he's a first-time responder there and uh, you know it's the lesser of two evils but uh, right now it's probably always this type of decision that you have to make.
8: You mentioned you had a job. What do you do and how was the, the process for you getting a job? You're, you're not here that long. You got your job fairly
7: quick. Right. So how has that been for you? I'm here for two weeks and on Monday I had my interview. That was kind of a long interview uh, with uh, Minister Pippa Hackett and uh, on Monday I'm starting to work as her. Secretarial assistant, and I'll be managing all her contacts regarding displaced Ukrainians, uh, all the requests that she gets from all these people, and good. Uh, and I think that helping other people, giving back, is what this is all about. This is this has always been about. What this is all about for me, and uh, uh, I don't know. I've always. T- Loved your culture, loved your language, and here I have this opportunity to help both the Ukrainian community and the Irish community. And uh, I don't know, I feel blessed that I have this opportunity. And uh, right now, all I do is uh, trying to, I don't know, make as much as I can of it. I, it's just. Uh, probably hard to put into words how grateful I am, but it probably doesn't matter because uh, what is important is what you do, and I try to do as much as I can to give back and to help all these people and to be a part of this community.
8: The kindness of people in the Midlands made the transition to Irish life easier for the Ukrainian seaman Mikola and his sister.
9: Um, people are here like super nice. I don't know. Is it because uh, that oh, like we got very similar history, I suppose, uh, and you can feel that we feel now or maybe because, well, I suppose that is why also you're like uh, as a, as a nation, you are pretty friendly, I suppose, open-minded, and uh, like the hospitalities' is just uh, it's just unbelievable. Uh, like first, uh, I've been here like uh, for a week and a half, I think, and uh, well, I thanks to Vlas, I um, got to know that there is a, a Volunteer Center, and I went here like almost right away because uh, at once, I mean, because uh, well, I don't, I don't do have a spare time, and. Uh, and I saw that a lot of uh, Ukrainian people do not speak English so good, so uh, yeah, they need help for sure. My sister also find a job uh, as an interpreter, she's pretty good with English, like, sure, her English is pretty good. Actually, thanks to Vlas, he helped us to find the job, like, <laughs> um, so yeah, I suppose everything is fine now and uh, everybody is, like, settled, so... Yeah, <laughs> she'll stay here for some time until uh, everything will be finished and like our country will be free.
8: Manager at Offley Volunteer Centre, Deirdre Fox, can't believe the support they've received for the displaced Ukrainians.
9: Oh gosh, I
0: couldn't even begin to tell you the amount of support that we've received here, Cameron. Um, I suppose build it and they will come. And in fairness that has happened in, in Offaly because we have a hub in Tullamore and now in Barr. And the generosity of the people in County Offaly is absolutely incredible. Um, So I suppose just to put things into perspective, we offer very soft supports here in the Hub in that um, we provide just the first off things that people might require when they're arriving in the town, wherever they are staying, whether it's in Irish families who have been excellent, or if it's in in the Central Hotel or in the Outer Pursuit Centre. So basic things, as somebody said to me, lose your suitcase on your way on your holidays and that's what people want. They need pyjamas, they need socks, toothpaste, toothbrush, body wash, feminine products Um, and for the people that have small children then obviously it's baby care, nappies, um, things that we all take for granted, pseudo cream, all of that. So we have received it in abundance. Now just to put it again into perspective, um, the Central Hotel put out a call for donations and they were inundated.
8: Sudan-born Norel had been in Ukraine for six years when the war broke out and was bounced around
10: before he landed in the Midlands. For me, actually, um, I, I, Ireland was very welcoming. The Irish people was like surprisingly welcoming for me. I mean, I was in Germany before I came here. Uh, I found it very difficult to integrate there. Um, well, people there was also like polite, I had to meet many organizations and everything, but, you know, the system there and um, the the local, how to say, uh, the offices, the local offices, uh, like taking very long time to issue any type of documents. Uh, Here in Ireland, uh, as I'm not, I don't have an Ukrainian uh, passport. Uh, they in the beginning of the pa- in the in the airport they asked me like why sh- why I didn't go back to my country, so anyway, uh, but generally they didn't uh, ex- exclude me and uh, they helped me with everything I need. Uh, it was much, it was much easier and faster. That's why I mean I understand that I have the ability to continue my studies here in Ireland. So yeah, so far so good I can say.
8: And to talk a bit about Irish lifestyle, how has your living situation been here? Do you feel comfortable?
10: Well, uh, I, honestly, yeah. I mean, uh, it was surprising me that people are greeting each other here. I mean, this reminds me of my uh, home country. I mean, I have been to many countries, but I haven't been greeted in the street before, like in Ireland. So that's that's let me feel that I'm really welcomed and uh, people are really nice and uh, they help me with everything I need. So yeah, that's helped me in the integration and helped me to be a part of the community and help in like help others as well. You see, when when you get help, it's easy for you to give it back to someone else. And this is what uh, I'm thank I'm thankful for the uh, for the Irish community here.
2: And that's Vlaz Novadny, who now lives in the Midlands and is originally from Ukraine. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda, you'll soon be entitled to sick pay by law. doesn't matter what your contract says or whether the boss wants to play ball or not. It will be the law and the employment minister will be here in around 40 minutes to answer your questions about it. Now, one question that many in the tech world have been asking over recent weeks is why does the world's richest man wish to own Twitter? And it looks like he's not going to get his way without a fight because the board of the company is resisting a takeover by Elon Musk, who you may know from Tesla and various other enterprises over the years. Now, this is where we're going to begin our review of the world of tech with Andy O'Donohue from RedCert.com. Morning, Andy. Morning, Will. Let's start with Elon Musk's perspective. Why does he want to buy Twitter? It's a
11: great question, Will, and nobody is quite sure. Although there are a number of theories, for instance, Elon has described himself as a free speech absolutist. So the idea that I think he's been a little bit ruffled by some of the, um, I suppose, inhibitions placed on people posting on Twitter. Elon Musk doesn't like that. He thinks that everybody should be able to say what they want, when they want, and he pretty much does that. And um, so is it because he's a free speech absolutist, or is it because he's bored, Will? And Are doing particularly well They're having an incredible run Over the last uh, couple of years The company's doing remarkably well Andy I'm sorry to
2: interrupt you There's a lot of noise on that mic I'm not sure if it's a lapel mic Or if uh, we're hearing Quite a bit of interrupted speech Are you able to Do something there and come back to us?
11: I think that Has that improved it?
2: Yes Yes So he's a free speech
11: advocate He's a free speech advocate, and so that may be, I suppose, his prime motivation. However, it's also speculated that he may just be bored, Will. Tesla is doing exceptionally well and have been doing great for the last few years. And Elon Musk is genuinely distracted by new businesses. He launched Starlink, which is the satellite broadband company, the boring company. He's drilling holes under Los Angeles. Did he actually card, call which it which the Boring company. company? It it is called the Boring Company, <laughs> and, um, and and they've they've uh, t- you know when you think of people usually issue or produce merchandise, t-shirts and hats. The Boring Company produced a uh, a flamethrower as one piece of their uh, merchandise. Uh, he is a remarkable character. Let's not forget that he is the world's richest man with a fortune of around three hundred billion dollars, and so buying Twitter. Doesn't sound like a huge proposition for him, although he may not have the cash to do it. But he initially acquired a stake, about 9.2%, and it looked like he was going to be appointed to the board. The Twitter board were uneasy about this. And then Elon Musk, it turns out, has issued a full sort of takeover plan. And the board are very unhappy.
2: Well, considering Nearly everything else he has touched has turned to gold.
11: Why would the board of Twitter be unhappy? well one of the uh, one of the reasons may be as he tweeted over the weekend that if he does buy Twitter, the salary for board members will be zero, and um that currently amounts to about three million dollars a year so for for part time jobs, the twitter board earn sort of $250,000 a year or more. Elon Musk it looks like has a plan to cut out the payment to the board. And um, apparently uh, employees are also very nervous and there have been meetings and a lot of internal discussion. But w- what was fascinating will on, I think it was Sunday evening. Jack Dorsey, who of course, who was the former CEO and one of the founders of Twitter, also criticized Twitter's board in a number of tweets on Sunday night. And, uh, you know, it's hard to see Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk being aligned on this. Jack Dorsey still owns, I think, about two and a half percent of Twitter. But it does appear that um, Elon has started sort of, uh, he started the train moving because last week, another firm, um, another firm, Thomas Bravo, said that they were considering a bid for Twitter also. Twitter share price has gone up. Um, every, you know, people who use Twitter are sort of excited by this but what it would mean is Twitter would probably look very different, we may see an edit button um, Donald Trump may return to the platform, Elon Musk will, who knows what he's going to do next Well maybe he is in it for a genuine investment
2: because while you mentioned correctly the price has gone up because of this interest from Elon and others, it's still a long way from its peak of per share. It's only 48 now. He's offering 54. Could he just be chasing a bargain?
11: Yeah, he might be chasing a bargain. But, you know, in in the tech world, Twitter is an underperformer. And it it is one of those companies that punches above its weight because it has nothing like the reach that Facebook or Instagram or, say, WhatsApp have as social platforms and utilities. Twitter is used by a lot of people in the media and a lot of people in the public eye. And um, it just hasn't grown well in the way that the other social media sites have. And so Twitter shareholders may be looking at this thinking, well, you know, if you have a good chunk of your pension or your company's investments are in Twitter, they may be looking, thinking, well, Elon Musk could perhaps double the value of this company, given his track record and everything else that he's done.
2: Mm. All right, let's talk about other values going up and inflation is the big story of the time in everything, not just fuel, not just food, but consider your iPhone or general gadgetry and where the metals come from and the contribution of Russia to the commodities market. What are we likely to see in tech pricing because of the war in Ukraine, Andy?
11: Oh, it's it's, it's very... It's going to be a very challenging time um, globally for inflation. For you know, we all we, we've heard the coverage about inflation and price rises in Europe and around the world. What's I suppose notable for the technology business is that Russia and indeed China have access to a, the world's biggest um mines or resources of the metals that are used in a lot of, say, smartphone and other technology, and particularly these ones that are called the rare earth metals. And if anyone remembers their chemistry from school, they're the metals sort of bang in the middle of the periodic table. And um, they're actually not that rare, but um, they require significant sort of effort to mine them. And, you know, you have about maybe, you know, you have dozens of different types of metal in your phone, but mining them, and even getting access to them is becoming increasingly difficult will and what that means is that other mines need to be opened perhaps in south america and in other and uh, say in canada but it makes uh, it makes the price of these metals rise uh, in line with other commodities but there is a direct impact on uh, the cost of smartphones and there is absolutely no doubt that the cost of smartphones can only rise At the cost of microprocessors, the brain in your computer will rise. But the knock on effect of that is significant because if we look at, say, data centers run by Amazon or Microsoft or Google, they are powered by racks and racks of computers, which are getting more expensive. And so we may even see a rise in cloud services um, or in other services. We've already seen a price rise for Netflix this year. So inflation in the technology business may take a, a, a sort of a bigger hit than, say, in food commodity prices. Well, at least you can avoid
2: upgrading the phone every two years. You can do it every three instead, whereas food, well, you have to put that on the table at the same intervals (laughs) regardless. Uh, One other potential impact then would be in electric vehicles and there are many policies trying to drive us into more and more electric cars between now and 2030 in fact one of the targets is that by the end of the decade any new car sold must be capable of zero emissions that can only be possible if it has a battery of some sort in there whether it's full electric hybrid or otherwise so when we consider the price of cobalt the price of lithium um Is there going to be a shortage of electric car batteries or are we just going to see um, alternative mines opened in different parts of the world to compensate for the Russia and China effect?
11: Yeah, it's it's an interesting point. And, you know, as as you say, cobalt and lithium are two key um, elements that are used in EV batteries. Um, probably the biggest, uh, the best known companies, though, are Canadian and Australian. Uh, First Cobalt and Cobalt Blue. And they, uh, their businesses have been doing really well because of the huge surge in EV, uh, EV sales. And access to lithium, um, though, is really important. And perhaps that's the, uh, that's the most important in, in, in general battery usage. I think what we will say, is, and it's a little bit like the rare earths, Will, it requires uh, more mines to be open or expanded. But the problem with a metal like cobalt is that, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a very dirty metal to mine and it's expensive. And in the past, there have been scandals about the, about the workers and the workers rights and how badly they were treated. Um, in various mines around uh, around the world. And, you know, cobalt almost became like diamonds. You have this sort of conflict cobalt. So mining those metals is expensive. And that means there'll be uh, a price increase, maybe not so much of a shortage, but it does mean, and of course, the batteries for electric vehicles are incredibly expensive anyway. So, you know, there is talk that this may sort of uh, be resolved in a year or 18 months but we are in for i suppose a price increase and of course cars generally have risen in price so EVs unfortunately despite mass adoption don't look like getting cheaper anytime soon.
2: Mm. And you've just made me realize something else some of these metals are going to be very geographic specific. I think cobalt mainly comes from the Congo with with limited supplies elsewhere. So we don't always have a choice as to where we get it from,
11: do we? No, we don't. And 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 indeed, the Congo, because of the uh, because of the conflict in the Congo, and uh, as I was saying, cobalt is a very has uh, been a controversial metal. We don't have a choice. I mean, uh, you know, the the bigger mines have to be opened in other markets, and of course, the price of transport has gone up, um, be it sea freight or air freight. You know, so. The supply chain generally is a problem for this. But we've seen good advances by companies like, say, uh, Apple and Tesla. Both of them have made significant advances in guaranteeing workers' rights and wages and, um, I suppose, putting the infrastructure in place. But, um, as you said, Will, if we are heading towards that zero-emission car, um, that everybody will have one day the um, the earth, I suppose, and it's sad to say the earth is going to take a battering in the meantime Andy,
2: stay there for a moment if you will think of some of the great heist movies one I love is Die Hard with a Vengeance with Jeremy Irons being the bad guy but when you think of that iconic line from the Italian job you were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off Well, it doesn't quite have the same ring to it if he says you were only supposed to hack in. Well, here's a heist that you probably haven't heard of and it is worth an eye-watering amount of money running into hundreds of millions of dollars and North Korea is being fingered for it. What's going on, Andy?
11: Well, this is a fascinating story, Will, and some of your listeners, I'm sure, will know of a popular online game called Axie Infinity. And the way that Axie works, it's one of those play to earn games. And so as you play the game, you can earn crypto uh, through uh, playing or trading avatars. And this hack has been linked to a group called Lazarus. And the Lazarus group uh, were, are, are sort of affiliated, uh, it's thought, with North Korea. And they were responsible. It's also thought for hacking Sony Pictures a few years ago, which was a very notable, um, which was a very notable hack at the time. And it looks like the Lazarus Group <clears throat> have gained access to the blockchain, and so that's the you know the sort of like Bitcoin. This is the underlying sort of technology that runs um, these sort of decentralized games, and it looks like they gained access to it and withdrew about 600 million us dollars in two cryptocurrencies uh, one called ethereum which is a very popular and well-known coin and another one called usdc which is a crypto that's directly linked to to the us dollar and it looks like they got the keys of the shop essentially and managed over a a, over a a number of weeks to withdraw 600 million dollars and um So who's out of pocket, Andy? Well, the people... uh, So you have a number of people. So um, the people who run the game, the people who own the platform, and people who would have been, say, doing trades, uh, buying or selling items. So there are losers. If this is not... Like, it's not fantasy money, Will. This is real money linked to real-world wallets. And so the money the money does appear to be gone and notoriously difficult to recover, although it can be tracked and it can be traced over time, but it often takes years. And um, it's just another one. This is, this is, I mean, over the last three or four months, there have been probably half a dozen of these hacks. And if you go back a few years, when we heard about this kind of hack, it would be for a relatively small amount of money. But the scale of these thefts are now incredible. And $600 million is a huge amount of money. And if it is linked to a nation state, well, then it is probably used to fund uh, projects within that state. Mm. Do they ever catch them? They do catch them. Uh, They do catch them. And um, in fact, it's only recently over uh, just after Christmas that um, the worst rapper I've ever heard of, Heather Morgan, and her her husband um, were discovered in the greatest um, financial seizure ever made by U.S. uh, funds or U.S. uh, authorities when they recovered about four and a half billion dollars in crypto uh that this couple had in new york no one knows if they were the people that stole it from a hack going back a few years but they were tracked down because they spent it and they were trying to sort of launder it or wash it online and they were caught and arrested the problem will with the axi infinity hack is is if these are connected to underground groups or to rogue states um they're never going to be caught
2: Alright, some listener questions.
11: And again, we don't give out
2: investing advice, but if you are interested in crypto, uh, Mike is wondering, has the ship sailed? He admits he was a bit late to uh, the dot-com era, but he missed the bubble bursting as well. He's wondering if the same is at play with Bitcoin and various other cryptocurrencies at the
11: moment. Well, I, I don't think so, and I'm—I mean, I'm an advocate for for cryptocurrency, but more so really of the underlying technology, and it's allowing people to build really interesting um, financial uh, projects, and also it's great for artists, you know, with the NFTs that we've spoken about. And cryptocurrency is the method that all of these things are paid for. I wouldn't recommend cryptocurrency as an investment, but um, there are companies who do it, and there are companies listed on the stock exchanges around the world, and that's what they do. So I wouldn't give mike advice, but I would say that crypto is here to stay, and there's some there's some really really good benefits for us as consumers and for society uh, that will come from crypto.
2: Okay, next one is from Imelda, who's going away on holidays soon and she's wondering is there an intelligent gadget she can buy to switch on and off the lights
11: there is uh, there is and she has a lot of options the easiest way of doing it is with a smart bulb and the bulb can be controlled by an app on your phone and um Philips uh, make a range called the Philips Hue, and they're not cheap. Uh, bulbs, I think, start at around twenty odd euros, and for a bit more for the full colour ones. But there are also versions from a company called Ellie and the two letters le and they make a, a much cheaper range but again they can be controlled by an app and so you could put one in the kitchen or you could put one in the front of the house they both make outdoor lights so you can make it look like somebody's at home and um, a simple search for smart light bulb will get Imelda started
2: all right we'll take well this is a comment does it mean because the cost of electric car batteries is going up and their lifespan is, we believe, about 10 years, that the second hand value of these electric cars over 10 years will be basically
11: worthless. Well, I, I think that, well, I, no, I mean, the car value can't be worthless um, because batteries can be changed. But batteries are also getting better. Well, at the moment, if you look at the sort of battery that we have in electric vehicles, they're actually pretty simple. And it's the similar sort of principle that was used to um, to, you know, to put big battery blocks together um, 10 or 20 years ago. However, batteries are improving. And of course, we do have the prospect of hydrogen in the future. And hydrogen powered vehicles, I think, will probably be the most exciting uh, type of um, low carbon emission vehicle
2: um, that the world will see. Andy, we leave it there. Appreciate your time and thank you very much for taking the call thanks Will. Andy O'Donoghue you can follow his blogs at redcert.com 25 to 12 on Midlands 103 and don't forget tickets to Kilbegan races can be yours in the next few minutes i'll be telling you how as they return to the track this thursday and friday now i've sent uh, i've received a picture rather from the Castle Jordan area of what is Not a real road. It can't possibly be a real road when it is so speckled with craters, potholes, and it's just not, it can't be public, can it? Mick Kildare has sent it in, and he says, in his area, whether you're travelling to Edenderry, whether you're travelling to Rotford Bridge, whether you're travelling to Road. They are all broken up in the most awful of ways. And you're in a bit of a no man's land there, Mick, because you're really at the fringe of Kildare County Council's area, Offaly County Council's area, uh, Meath County Council, not too far away. And I suspect none of them really want to take ownership of it. But let's find out how big an issue potholes are uh, for the AA, because they measure the call And they would have a good handle on who breaks down as a result of potholes and burst tyres. And we'll have that story for you in the next few minutes. Also today, the new sick leave bill for 2022 putting on a statutory basis, sick leave for the very first time. You do not have that right. You do not have it automatically unless it's in your contract of employment. That is going to change that story in 10 minutes. Now, Anna Cullen joins us from the AA. Anna, you have been asking motorists, about 5,000 of them, what has damaged their car. And how many have told you that potholes are to blame? Good morning.
12: Good morning, Will. Yeah, so we uh, surveyed over 5,000 motorists. 16% of those respondents stated the damage had been caused, whether it was their car, their motorbike or their bike, actually as a result of moving over an unrepaired pothole, and that's in the past year. So that's quite a high percentage. And then we asked about, you know, what type of damage was caused, and it, we actually found the tyre damage was the most likely fallout. And then of those who had their car damaged damaged by a pothole, 61% said that one or more of their tyres had been punctured. 35% stated that the wheel rim had also been been damaged and 23% said that they damaged the steering alignment. And then 17% damaged the shock absorbers or the shock absorption system. So you're getting into expensive repairs there, Anna. (laughs) We are. We are. And, you know, if you if you had a puncture that might 100 euro maybe. But if you're going to the extensive damage, you know, that that could reach almost 2000 euros. So it is quite expensive when you when you look at it all.
2: So in which counties do potholes appear to be the biggest issue?
12: Well, this survey was national, so um, Dublin was the highest. That was thirty percent, but that's That's more for than general call outs. Yeah, well that was our um, the respondents, but the call outs from AA, they attended over thirty seven thousand five hundred call outs to tire related issues and the highest number was, you know, in, in Dublin, Cork and Westmead was actually in one of those um, in the top counties for the call out there and Westmead actually and awfully two percent in the survey the majority of they were in they reported you know they were in the top sorry the top 15 counties that reported the highest number of um, issues with potholes.
2: Unsurprisingly, I suppose, considering most of the, well, not most of, but a lot of roads in those counties are built across bogs. They are prone to subsidence. So potholes are going to be more of an issue there than perhaps in some other counties, albeit in Dublin you're probably having the highest number because there's the highest number of motorists uh, west meath would be overrepresented when you consider the population of that county what is your advice to minimize the damage that a pothole may do or is there anything other than trying to avoid it in the first place that will make a substantial difference
12: well look the main thing is to slow down like i'm in i'm in Tipperary there's i live in quite a rural area the roads are very narrow where I am so sometimes it is actually impossible to avoid the potholes so to keep damage to a minimum you know slow down is the main thing but our patrol team also says that you should maintain full air pressure in all your tires that's really important and then if you are traveling with other vehicles on the road just leave plenty of space between yourself and the vehicle in front of you and as I said if you're not in a position to avoid it then just slow down, because if you hit the pothole at speed, that will actually increase the chance of damage to your tyres, your wheels, shocks, you know, and so on. So that's the main thing. And then when you are driving and if you do hit it, just hold the steering wheel firmly to avoid losing control. And when you hit it, don't brake when you're directly over a pothole, because that actually causes the car's weight to shift to the front of the wheel, and then that can actually increase damage from the impact. And also, you know, it it has rained here where I am anyway over the last few days. So just be wary of potholes that are filled with water because they actually might be deeper than they look. That actually happened myself. I was actually cycling, didn't see the potholes, thought it was a puddle, went straight in and over the handlebars. So quite dangerous. So just be really wary of potholes that are filled with water, whether you're driving, cycling or whatever.
2: Well, I lost a rear tyre two weeks ago from that very issue of a pothole being disguised in a puddle. And I, you just have to remind me, actually, Tom Darcy, if you're listening, Tom, I will drop the money to you. I still owe him <laughs> for the tyre two weeks on. Now, is there anything, and a few awesome. listeners always ask this, and, and I know the answer is, is somewhat vague, but if your local authority failed to fill in a pothole, can you try and get money out of them?
12: Well, look, there's, I, I, I have been asked a few questions about this and who's liable and, and all of that. Now, the first thing that I would say, the advice that we gave, is always report the pothole when you see it and don't assume that somebody else is going to do it. If you hit it or if you see it, and if it's safe for you to do that, take a picture of the pothole, take a picture of the damage so that you have that, go on the county council's website and report this. Because if county councils don't know about the pothole, at all and they don't repair them or attempt to then they're not liable so that's why it is important to report potholes when you see or if you if they inflict damage to your vehicle if the council attempted to repair or did repair but they didn't do the job well and the pothole reappears or you know you know the way potholes that might start out small and then you know all of a sudden they're they're massive so if they get they were if they get worse then they may be liable because but as long as they do the work in a way that's not negligent, then you can't really look for any compensation for any damage done. You know, and you'll also have to prove that the pothole caused it, that the repairs that you're having to pay for were specifically caused by your impact with the pothole. Um, you know, so that's why it's important to report these things and take pictures and and keep a keep a note of what has happened.
2: But you will need dogged determination very often to push it through. Uh, So, yeah, a lot of people may walk away, but others on principle will fight. And certainly when you're paying so much road tax, a lot of people are inclined to do the latter. Anna, thanks very much for taking us through the survey.
12: Thanks a million.
2: Anna Cullen from AA Ireland. The junior business minister will be here in a few minutes because the cabinet has approved a new law granting you sick pay for the very first time in Ireland. Some employers, to be fair have a policy in place already but they're not obliged to not yet but that's changing if you work in the public sector the chances are you get some sort of sick pay cover and in multinationals as well it's quite common that a certain number of days a year will be given to you at full salary even if you're too sick to come to work but more generally in the private sector cover is very much hit and miss so a new law will change that. It's called the Sick Leave Bill and it has just been approved by Cabinet and once it passes through the Oireachtas you will have the right to paid sick leave for the first time. Now let's get into the detail because it's not going to happen at the click of a finger overnight. Damien English is a Meath West Fine Gael TD. He's also Minister of State for Business, Employment and Retail. Minister, Good morning.
13: Good morning, William, to all your listeners as well. Thanks for having me on.
2: What's the plan to phase this in?
13: Uh, it'll be phased in from this year, probably either over the summer or probably later in the autumn. And it'll begin this year for uh, us for up to three days. And by 2024, it'll be five days leave. And in 2025, it'll be seven days and will finally become 10 days in 2026. The reason for phasing that in is to recognize uh, we've come through a difficult time for employers and, and business owners over the last couple of years of COVID. We're recognising we're also at a difficult trading time in relation to what's happening in Ukraine uh, with the war there as well. So it's a difficult time for employers. So we need to phase this in uh, to give them time to accommodate this and to absorb this into their wage bill. Because it does come as an increased cost to business. It's a, it's a major benefit to employees and it's necessary and it's the right thing to do. But it's also right to, to, to balance it and bring it in, phase it in gently as well. And will you, at the start, you were right to say that a number of employers already have some sort of schemes in place, and some very attractive ones, and it varies different businesses. Many of the small business community look after the staff extremely well and have a kind of a flexible ad hoc arrangement. But this is to put in legislation now that everybody, no matter where you're working, is entitled to statutory sick leave days beginning at three a year and working up to the ten as just referenced as well.
2: Well, are you going to get full pay, though, or will it be at a reduced rate?
13: It depends on what sector you're in. Uh, At the moment, it's it's capped at 110 euro per day, uh, which is about 70% of the national average wage. The national average wage is just under 800 euro uh, a week, which equates to about 110 a day. And Sorry, a little bit less than 110. So it's about about 70% of that brings it to 110. And again, it's recognising that um, an employer also has to, has to replace their staff and find somebody else to do that work as well. So the, the employer has to pay out on the sick leave as well as pay somebody else to do the work. So it's, you know, you've always got these things to be higher and at full rate, but we have to try to get that balance right.
2: So at the moment, a person may apply for illness benefit, which would be at a much lower rate than even what you've just described. Are you still going to retain illness benefit or will it be done away with?
13: Yeah, illness benefit will be retained at uh, the moment it kicks in after three days um, and then pays out based on certification. Likewise, the, this employer scheme will also be based on certification. You have to approve from your doctor or medical cert uh, of, of the illness. Um, so the illness scheme then will be will be reduced over the years uh, as, the, as the employer's sick leave uh, increases. But at the moment, it, it it's there and kicks in uh, and changes then. To the illness benefit over the years ahead will protect the the social protection budget for other supports and other schemes that will continue to develop.
2: Yes, well, I was about to ask though well, if you're phasing one out and making the saving, where will you be giving back?
13: Well, again, the saving is is uh, a fund, a social insurance fund that pays out on all the various schemes of all the statutory sick pay schemes, uh, illness benefits, social protection, pension, all them. That's all there. And that pot uh, has been greatly hit over the last couple of years because of COVID. But also that's the pot that people pay, pay into with the PRSI, both employers and employees. And we want to continue to keep that in reasonable condition to invest in um, in protections for the future as well. So that will continue. But PRSI for, in this country is regarded as quite low. We try to keep it as low as we possibly can to encourage job creation and make it easier to create jobs. Uh, so that will enable us to continue with that while uh, in giving an enhanced uh, payments to workers who are sick. The main reason for this is I think we know in certain sectors uh, people certainly in low pay jobs people feel under extreme pressure when they're ill to still go to work and that's not good for themselves first of all, it doesn't help their recovery but number two, uh, it can spread illness uh, to uh, work colleagues, to customers, to clients and uh, and affects public health in general. So this scheme uh, is uh, common throughout Europe we're probably one of the few countries that don't have a scheme like this so it's important that we move with the times but also... Many of the employers that do would have in your programmes here, or employer-life groups that we talk to on, on a weekly basis, tell us that they're finding it extremely hard to source talent and to keep people in jobs and to fill all job vacancies. Uh, and we would say that it's important that we have strong terms and conditions, as well as pay, uh, on offer uh, to future employees as well to try to fill those jobs. Um, and it's important for Ireland that as we grow as an economy and things improve, that we do look after our staff as best we possibly can.
2: There's a story on the front of the Irish Independent today, Minister. I'm sure you've seen it. Parents to get five days off to care for children, says the headline. So what else should employers be planning for when it comes to extra costs, extra entitlements?
13: Well, again, that piece of legislation is just been brought the Cabinet this week. So it has a journey to go on yet before it will become the law. And be, to be very clear, that that's, that's focused on unpaid leave. So it's about employers accommodating and working with their staff in difficult times when their children are, are ill short term uh, or with long term illness as well. Again, many employers do that as well, but it's to protect those in vulnerable sectors uh, who don't have uh, employers who are understandable or who work with them in difficult times. So it's an EU director that's coming in and Ireland has to play a part and implement it as well. So there's a journey to go. Other issues that affect uh, employers uh, uh, would be the pension auto-enrolment. This has been well flagged now over the last 10 years, a lot of engagement. Headroom is confirmed and announced that it will kick in from 2024 onwards. And again, that is uh, a scheme that will be matched as a contribution from employee, employer and the state. Again, trying to future-proof our country to make sure people have enough money in retirement to pay all their bills and have a certain standard of living as well. While I understand, and so with the time of Rio Valka, who's pushing hard for the sick leave scheme, that we understand businesses are faced with increased labour costs because of these issues. Um, But they they are are in that's common in many other countries that we are competing with. And it will be important uh, that we have a strong offering for our employees. There are a range of business supports that we work on with businesses during difficult times like COVID uh, over the last couple of years, as well as heading into the inflationary period because of Ukraine, that we help businesses with their overall costs but also in business development and job support schemes through social protection, through education, through a local enterprise office in Enterprise Ireland. We do work with businesses to develop their jobs offering too, but we recognise they are the ones that take the risk. They are the ones that take all the hassle to create jobs. We want to assist and create those jobs, but also to work with them to make sure that they're, they're at a high standard that look after the staff too.
2: Well, there may be some who feel Whatever about the reasons and the sympathies you've outlined, that the timing is still wrong because they've just emerged from COVID to hospitality sector, sector, which would have taken a really big hate. They have, as you've mentioned, the inflationary pressures at the moment. Why do it this year? Why not pause and let this issue of Ukraine wash out?
13: Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's a fair enough, and it's a fair ask. Uh, and we've been engaging with the business for the last couple of years. We, we did pause this and didn't react straight away because of COVID. and um, So it has been worked on for the last 15 or 16 months to get it right. Uh, the Dáil wanted to bring this in a, a, a number of years ago. and we, 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 At that time, we said, look, you couldn't bring it in during, during COVID. Businesses were under extreme pressure. their doors were closed in many cases. They were playing their part in, in, in assisting the public health response. So we kind of had positives, for want of a better word, to, to get through COVID. We we now know that we're at a really high job employment level, uh, the highest ever in the country, close to 2.5 million. Uh, There is a massive job vacancies and massive difficulties in filling those jobs. So we think it's appropriate time to strengthen paying conditions and strengthen those those quality jobs as well through legislation like this to uh, help us assist in bringing new workers uh, and attract new workers into the workforce. There are, it is difficult for businesses no matter when you bring these schemes in, uh, but I think it's important to bring it in to try to help the overall workforce as well as protect the public health of the nation. We'll continue to work work with those businesses and support them during the difficult time we have ahead of us because of Ukraine. Uh, But, you know, Ireland is recovering quite well.
2: But how, Minister? Sorry to interrupt, but again, if there's a relatively small business that's absorbing massive increase in costs of raw materials, of electricity and so on, what what material help are you going to give them?
13: There's a, there's, a, there's a range of schemes there that are still still there since COVID as well tax relation tax taxware, ta- taxware housing, uh, subsidies towards implying people off the live register, uh, training subsidies in conjunction with the edu- education training boards, higher education system and skill nets again to assist businesses and uh, uh, upskill their staff, attracting new staff. There's a range of support there towards the energy costs by lowering VAT, lowering excess duties recognizing that there is increased pressure there. But there's also a number of supports on offer through the local enterprise office, and I'm meeting some of them this week again who are working directly with businesses uh, in supporting soft, soft supports through online trading vouchers, through training, uh, through Go Green, through Lean Development, which has reduced the cost, as well as development grants towards different parts of your business. So there are a range of supports there in relation to direct response then to um, Ukraine, we had um, various continuity schemes operi- operated by Enterprise Ireland during the last two difficult years and supports through LEOs and Enterprise and the local authorities. So there is money set aside in those funds that we will design new schemes now to try to reach those companies under immense pressure. And also in the legislation for the sick pay scheme, there is a clause which allows businesses can show that they can't afford to pay these uh, this sick leave or other increases there's a mechanism there to be able to to avoid doing that if, if, if proven
2: A caller wants to know about remote working and when that's going to be put on a formal footing
13: uh, The legislation is working its way through the houses we expect to see it on a formal footing late autumn uh, uh, or early January again we're on a journey here with a lot of businesses trying to accommodate their staff and trying to do the right thing anyway uh, and not all jobs are suitable to work remotely, but we are putting in place legislation to make it a right to request it. We are supporting businesses who want to make that possible, as well as increased support across the different budgets at uh, budget time to assist people working from home. So, uh, And you'll see the development in the remote working spaces in hubs and so on. So, There's a lot happening in this space, but it will take a bit of time for all this to settle down. And what we want is that remote working become, becomes a permanent feature uh, of the Irish employment, uh, Irish employment um, scenario.
2: Maul asks, if there's no union in a workplace, are they still obliged to pay sick leave when this new bill becomes law?
13: They absolutely are. This will be law. It's a statutory sick pay scheme, so it guarantees every worker is entitled, along with all the other rights that are there, regardless of a union or not, because we have very strong Labour law protections in this country, and likely so, and they are backed up by independent verification through the Labour Court, through the WRC, and other agencies as well. So absolutely, yes, you are entitled to your sick pay, regardless
2: of a union or not. A listener also asks, is it true the government is considering making a breastfeeding available to mums for one hour paid every day?
13: That's there already. Uh, what's been looked at is to lengthen the time that that's available, because uh, at the moment it reflects um, the age of the baby um, uh, for the early stages, but it's, looked, it's been looked at through the legislation going to Cabinet to, this week, uh, looking at increasing that, that, that the length of time that's available. It's, it's, it has to come through Cabinet, so I can't confirm that it will happen, but that's been proposed at Cabinet today.
2: All right, I'd love to take in. Minister, appreciate your time and thank you for taking the call.
13: Thank you very much, Will, and to all your listeners, appreciate it.
2: Damien English is the junior minister with responsibility for business, employment, and retail. A credit card has been found in Tullamore, opposite Hugh Lynch's pub. So if you're missing your credit card again, uh, we have details of of uh, the person who has found that and they will be able to verify with you if it's yours. A very honest person indeed for giving that up. Uh, 0818 300 If you call us, we'll be able to pass you on the details. Now, that's where we leave it this morning. Sinead Hubble did all the hard work and Kira Mannion putting the programme together. We're already working on Wednesday's edition of the Midlands Today Show. Nice to be so far into the week already, isn't it? Have a great Tuesday. Carl is coming next with the afternoon show.